Yeah, I'm really excited about this one, Rob. Um, Eric Burden, uh, the singer to the Animals, is, is one of my all-time favorite singers, especially from that era. Uh, he had such a soulful voice, almost like a voice that shouldn't have come out of that body. You know what I mean? Like, it, it, yeah. doesn't, it doesn't belong. But uh, he's an amazing artist. Uh, he's a great songwriter, uh, interesting person, and there's just a lot of information. It's going to be a nice long show today. You know what it is? He had like he had they had like the real short history. Then they got back together, but they they really didn't make a lot of money either. When you go into the whole no, thing. no. Well, That's... you know, like like everybody else at that time, the British Invasion bands got ripped off. Yeah. Okay, and they they were poorly managed. They were young, you know. They yeah. were only in their like early twenties at the most, and they they signed bad contracts. They had management that ripped them off. Uh there's even a great story about what happened to him in Japan one time. I'll go into that about getting ripped off. But uh, yeah, I mean, he, he had to really fight for all of his, all of his uh, money that, that was owed to him royalties and, and everything. And then Alan Price, who got the credit for house of the rising sun, which was their biggest hit. You know, yeah. walked away, walked away with all the money. I'll, I'll get into that later. Oh yeah, he got like the check and got the fuck out. <laughs> yeah, basically. And then you know, to this day, the writing credit is just given to him when it was supposed to be for the whole band. Actually, it's not a writing credit; it's an arranging credit. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the song is a cover song. I'll get into that. Uh, but uh, all right, so <clears throat> let's talk about Mr. Eric Burden. He was born May 11th, 1941, in the Walker, Newcastle section of England. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's a river that runs through Newcastle called Tyne, okay? And it's, uh, you know, it, at that time in 1941, it was a dirty, polluted river with a lot of industrial activity on it. And, you know, Newcastle to this day is known for their beer, right? Their ale, Newcastle yeah. ale. Newcastle, and, yeah. Yeah, and uh, the brown ale. And... um. A lot of people in England, uh, a lot of children growing up at that time, they had bad asthma, and, and Burden was, was one of those. His father's name was Matt, and he was originally from Tyneside, which is another area right there on the river. Uh, his mother, Renee, was born in Ireland, so he's half Irish, yep. and later settled in Scotland and then settled in uh, Newcastle around the 1930s before World War II. Now, Eric's middle name is Victor. Because during the war, the mayor of Newcastle offered 25 pounds to any new mothers that named their kids, new kids, patriotic sounding names. So his, his name is Eric Victor Burden. Okay. So Burden was born to a lower working class family. Uh, and that 
that I got to mention quick as a side note is, is that that working class mentality that he has shows through his music. Okay, uh, the lyrics, the just the way the way he's lived his life. He he never he never acted like uh, you know a rock star. You know what I mean? That that wasn't his thing. So his father was actually an electrician and often would repair the electrical problems in some of the clubs that Burden would eventually play in in Newcastle. So his father's line of work uh, as an electrician got them a television set at a young age. Uh, he was like 10 years old watching TV in the early 50s. Yeah. Um, now, in his teens, he, he, he always says that he became passionate about blues and jazz music after seeing Louis Armstrong on that TV. Okay. Now, this new passion for music that he got at a, as a teenager inspired him to play the trombone and he you know he played it for a couple of years he really wasn't that good at it so he decided to concentrate on singing because he had this this deep baritone voice okay that you know was bluesy sounding almost like a black guy okay and uh he decided to cultivate that and work on that so he had his first according to the song now when i was young the song when i was young he had his first cigarette at 10 years old. Okay. And you know, that was true. That's a, that's actually a true lyric in that song. Uh, he was smoking cigarettes at 10. Uh, he was cutting school at 13 to go drink with his friends, Newcastle Brown ale, which you probably get for practically free in that town. I would imagine (laughs) in those days, in those days, you know, now, according to the song, uh, when I was young, which is one of my favorite songs by him, uh, he had his first love at 13. Okay, with a very experienced girl. Now, the lyric goes, you know, I had my first love at 13. She was brown and I was pretty green. Yeah. Okay, and times were very hard when I was young like that. And so I think I think uh, I think Eric, you know, had a very. What would be would have been at the time liberal mentality towards relationships, obviously it was an interracial relationship. And uh, he does mention this. There's other stories with him with, with black girls and stuff like that. And uh, he just was attracted to that whole thing. Uh, black culture, black music, jazz, blues, all of that. Um, now, Eric kind of described his childhood as a dark nightmare. Now, he suffered from asthma, like I mentioned, because of the river. Uh, also, the humidity of, of Newcastle was, because of the river, was also a major problem with his asthma during primary school uh he was harassed a lot by students and teachers basically because he was kind of a different kid you know uh he was into this music and stuff and nobody else really was at the time uh the classrooms were packed at in those days with 40 to 50 kids uh he, he says that the school was actually stuck between a slaughterhouse and a shipyard. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I could only imagine what the hell you saw when you got in and out, in and out of that school. Well, they were know? probably overcrowded and they were over, overcrowded, right? And then you got slaughtering chickens next to you, or pigs or whatever. And then, then you got some crazy ass sailors working next door, too. So I could imagine what that was like. Now, he also admitted that sadistic behavior by the teachers, uh, really like, you know, what would be what, what used to be called corporal punishment. Was, was very, you know, in fashion in those days. He used to hit the kids. And there was actual sexual molestation going on, he admitted. 
So, you know, he's, he's been through a lot at a young age already by the time he was in high school. By the time he did get to high school, they call it secondary school there. Um, there was a teacher named Bertie Brown that kind of took to him and helped him get into art school. And that would change his life forever. Okay. Art school is something that uh, Brits, and we've talked about this in other shows, Brits get into kind of like right after high school as opposed to going to a real university or something. It is a university, but you go to art school and it sounds almost like a, you know, kind of like a, ju- like a junior college, like something yeah. you would get into until you figure out what the hell you want to do with your life. But <clears throat> he knew what he wanted to do. Okay. Uh, and this teacher took to him and got him into the art school. Um, it was there that he first met a guy named John Steele, who would be eventually the originals animals drummer. Yep. And their friendship was based on music. Uh, you know, John Steele and, and him met and they realized they liked the same shit, you know, so they were quick friends. Uh, he also met other people into jazz and blues. And another one of his passions at the time uh, would be for his whole life is, is movies. Uh, he, he was a big movie buff at a young age. Yeah. Um, he also began hanging out by the time he was about 18, 19. He started hanging out at a jazz club called The Downbeat in Newcastle. Uh, he described it. He described his friends at that time as like a motorcycle gang without the motorcycles. Yeah. <laughs> they were all they were all like, yeah, yeah, they were all like tough guys, hard drinking, but big R&B fans, jazz fans. They took it seriously and they all were close and stuck together, you know, because in, in those days in England, if you were into that kind of music, it was frowned upon based on ignorance and racism and other things. You know, people would just kind of like, oh, you're into that black music. You know, that's stupid. You know, so if you were found somebody that was into that stuff, it, you, you were friends instantly. You know, it's kind of like in, the, you know, when I was growing up being into punk rock, you know, if you found someone into punk rock, it was like, oh, cool. You know, that now, now we're friends. You know, that's how it usually worked. Now, in 62, he was age 21 and he joined the Alan Price Rhythm and Blues Combo. Okay, Alan Price was a organist, keyboardist, and he had his own R&B band. Um, the original Alan Price Rhythm and Blues Combo became Eric Burden on vocals, Alan Price on organ and keyboards, Hilton Valentine on guitar, John Steele on drums, and Brian, also known as Chaz Chandler, okay, was uh, on bass. All right. Now, do you remember Chaz Chandler? Remember that name? Uh, yeah, he was with another band. He uh, he managed Slade. Yeah. He produced he produced Slade. Excuse me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, early on, we talked about that in the Slade show, and he also uh, was involved with Jimi Hendrix early on. Okay, yeah. and managing managing him. Um, after a little while, they realized that 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 name, Alan Price R and B combo, like really it didn't sucked. suit them. It sucked. So they said, uh, let's change the name. So they changed it to the animals. Yeah. Now, there's a couple of reasons behind this. Uh, they had a wild stage act. Okay. Burden probably has one of the best yells in music. Okay. Be- best screams. So he had like this, this voice and it was considered kind of a wild act, wild like an animal. So they called themselves the animals. But later on in 2013, there was an interview he did where he claimed it was, it was also in tribute to a guy that they all hung out with named Animal Hog. 
So they wanted to kind of like call it the Admirals as a tribute to him yeah. also. In nineteen sixty in, in uh nineteen sixty four answer yeah. the question before you get started. Yeah. Is there any rumor to the story that he is the Eggman? Ah, I was gonna wait to tell that story, Rob. Were you? Okay. Uh, yeah, I was gonna I was gonna tell that at the end of the show, but if you want I could bring it up now. I say how true how because he talked about in the documentary, how true was that? Okay, for, for people that don't realize what we're talking about. Uh in the song by the Beatles, I am the walrus. Yes. Okay. He says, I am the Eggman, cuckoo, cuckoo. Yes. Right. All right. So who's the Eggman? Well, it is. It, it's Eric Burden. And the story goes, he, he became very good friends with John Lennon, especially in the 60s. It's funny. And he was going out with, involved with a Jamaican woman at the time. Yes. Eric Burden was. And he had gotten out of bed one morning wearing just his socks. Okay, and nothing else. And she apparently, I think, was making breakfast or something, and uh, cracked an egg over his over his stomach while he was standing in front of her, and let it drip down. And she performed for him. Let's put it that way. Okay, <laughs> all right. He said he said that. What, what's the what's the line that he said? Like she did all the all the magic of Jamaica on all him. The or magic something of like Jamaica. That. Yeah. <laughs> Now, he told this story to John Lennon, and Lennon thought it was fucking hilarious. So he, he, he said, you're now the Eggman. Yeah, so he put, he put, so when you, whenever you hear I am the walrus and the part about the Eggman, think about Eric Burden and the cracked egg all over his naked body. That's fucking funny. <laughs> so... It, it, um, it, it, go ahead. I'm sorry, Rob. That's, that's hilarious. He had, dude, yeah, that was some people, man. Oh yeah, yeah. Now he was a cool fucker, man. He definitely was. You know, definitely. I mean, he still is. He's he's going to be 80 years old this year, man. Yeah. Next month. Next month. Uh, you know what's funny is 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 you know we're always a month ahead with the shows, and his birthday is actually May 11th. What? So by the time this is on, I think it's going to be his birthday. So it's wow. perfectly appropriate. How did I pull that off? I have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but um, okay. Getting back to the the band um, in '64, after a year of success playing around the Newcastle clubs, the Animals would make a move to London, and they had made connections with a guy named Giorgio Gomelski, who we have mentioned before. He was the manager of the Yardbirds. Yeah. Uh, Gomelski convinced them to move to London due to the fact that Beatlemania was going crazy in 64 and there was a lot of bands getting signed and a lot of these british bands that were signed were basically about to break in america you know by 64 february 64 when uh when the beatles went on ed sullivan anything after that changed okay so uh everything british was hot and they knew it so to go to london and get spotted it was a good chance you could make it so yeah, because they were the considered part of that British invasion also, the animals. Yeah, you know, and, and, and I have some some opinions on that. Like, I, I, they're definitely part of it, no doubt. I mean, you know, the, and the, the, really the first wave of it, which was the Beatles, the Stones, yeah. okay, the Kinks, yep. and, the animal, and the animals. You know, they were like the huge ones, the top four. But I think, you know, it's funny, as time has gone on, I, I think like they kind of, get a little left out and and i think that they were one of the most interesting bands to ever come out of england and especially at that time because if you think about it i always felt 
the animals just looked out of place, you know, with the rest of them. You had the Beatles. I really and, don't think you know, so. I think they had the better yeah. music, to tell you, too. I thought they- oh, no, 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 no. I'm not saying, no, no, I'm not saying the music wasn't good. It is some of the best music. But I'm talking about their, their look, kind of. Like, they, they wore the matching suits. A lot of the bands did that. You know, the Beatles did it. They were kind of clean cut, in a way. And then you had the Stones, which were scruffy. Yeah. But if you look at the animals, they're scruffier than the Stones. Yeah, but, okay, but they look like don't a you band, th- you know. I don't know. Oh look- no, 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 no. Yeah, that, all those guys look like bands to me. Yeah. Okay, but 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 what I'm saying is, you look at Eric Burden, you look at Alan Price, you look at at Hilton Valentine. They're all like, if you look at these shows, they're all pimply and like you know, like ugly kind of. Okay, and then you you know they, they were like almost uglier than the Stones in a way, you know. And I don't mean that in any bad way. I'm just saying like. They were they were almost like scruffier looking than the stones, you know but they, they never like, got they never got called that. You know what they look like? They look like a bunch of bikers that started a band and they could beat up the crowd. You know what they look like? There's pictures of of they the look animals. Like like what, yeah, they look like goons. They look like they look like punks like ten years later. Yeah. <laughs> okay, like Shab sixty nine or something like that. Those guys, you know, or even the undertones. They kind of look like, you know, like just just like regular kids. Okay, not that the Beatles and the Stones weren't, but it's just they had like a, I don't know, there was just something about them that was different than the other acts. Mike, if anything, I think they, if anything, I think they have more in common with the Kinks yeah. than they did with the Beatles or the Stones. But go ahead. I'm sorry. You know what's my theory about them? I think the reason they don't really get considered or even remember, like, they, they, they broke up pretty quick. Mm-hmm. Like, when you think about it, what was it, yeah. four, four to three years, maybe? What? It was really only about three years. Yeah. And only two of those two of those years, the original animals were together making hit after hit. But but they, but there was a lot of hits. Yeah, there were I lot. mean, these, these, these songs are still played on a radio. Well, of course they are. But I'm saying, I think that's know. why it is that they get forgetting really quick. And, they don't, and it's not till you really research it. You look at it, you're like, wow, these guys came with all these groups. Because yeah. the history almost buried them in a weird way. It kind of, kind of. They do kind of get buried in there. Um, people that know music wouldn't agree with that because they, they know that. No, I, okay, I but know the that, average. But I mean, if you didn't know yeah, that, yeah. you're like a, a yeah. casual. No, fan. the average, the average guy, the average guy that's not a, a you know giant music fan like we are. Like, you know, it's fun. like you're gonna, you're gonna like, oh yeah, they had one song, House of the Rising Sun. No, they well, had no, they, they had songs. quite a few songs. Yeah, I mean, and and every one of them is great. I never heard a bad song. You know now. What they would do is um, their live shows were like totally different than the studio. They were like very fiery. Uh, Burden was always loud. Um, they would cover R&B songs too. Doing covers, everybody did in those days. There was always a lot of covers. They would cover Jimmy Reed. Uh, they would cover John Lee Hooker. They would even cover Nina Simone. Okay. And in early 64, they ended up signing up to EMI's Columbia label. And their first single was a reworking of the standard Baby Let Me Follow You Home. But they changed it, retitled it into Baby Let Me Take You Home. And the song was actually done prior by Bob Dylan. And, but it's the Animals version that Dylan heard that made him decide, or one of a few reasons, but it made him decide to go electric. Okay, 
because in those days, Dylan was, was folk. He was acoustic. And then at one point, he, which we probably should do a show on one day, there is a whole story about how Dylan decided to kind of abandon his folk roots a bit and become electric and how that was considered heresy. When he, when he played at the Newport Folk Festival, I think it was 65, and uh, he came out playing electric guitar, the whole audience that was there to see him booed. Oh, that sucks. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, one thing, well, Eric Burden, and I'm, this kind of ties into what I'm going to say about Dylan, too, is, is, is Eric Burden, what I always love about him, is he don't give a fuck. He does the music he wants yeah. to do. You know, when, 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 you know, when the animals broke up, he started the new animals for a little while, and then he goes off and he plays with war, okay? And then later on, he does other music that he wants to do. He even has music that's like Brazilian bossa nova music. Yeah. He does like, he does anything he wants to do. He doesn't care if it sells. It's all about the music. And Dylan was the same way at that point in 65. Uh, he, you know, he said, listen, you know, rock and roll is, is something that can be done in a folk way. Okay. And he did that. And the folkies didn't like it, you know, but the world was changing very quickly. If you remember the birds show, we talked about those guys were all folk guys, yeah. but they were also, but they were also giant Beatles fans. Yeah. So it was all, changing it was all like swirling around in a big stew okay and you know a big pot and everybody was taking here taking from here taking from there you know you had to go with it i mean but it's amazing to think that dylan actually got booed like i you know i've heard it was like tremendous it wasn't just two people booing it was all no, funny i think the way the um the way uh eddie animals did the song um baby let me take you home i think it was much better than dylan's yeah. Yeah. Well, like, like all, like practically all Dylan songs that are covered, the covers are better. Yeah. Okay. I'm not, you know, and I, and I would never want to do a whole show on Bob Dylan, but, but there are things about Dylan that are very cool, very interesting. Uh, but yeah, I mean, without him, without him, there wouldn't be rock music that we know today. Yeah. But I can't take him in large doses. You know, I gotta have him here theory, and there. I didn't. I don't know why he's such a big star. Which he's he's a he's like a rapper. The song, he doesn't sing. He talks. It no. Nah, it's not. It's not even. It's dude. It's not even his music. It's the song. It's the lyrics. Okay. Okay. So. It's the It's the. I think it's the lyrics. He was the first guy to really write seriously in a pop song, in like a rock and roll song or folk yeah. song. I mean, you know, well, folk music was always more serious, dealt with social issues going back to the 20s. But folk music was never huge. OK, it, what he did is he transcended that. Like he came out of the folk scene where you could sing about social things yeah. and, and more serious stuff. And he put it in a, you know, a two and a half minute single. Yeah. And that was never done before. And uh it changed everything when that happened. Because, plus, he wrote his own music. Okay, nobody, you know, not too many people were doing that in in pop music and rock and yeah. roll early on. Okay, I mean, guys like uh, like Buddy Holly, he wrote his own music. Okay, uh, but he was mo most of Buddy Holly's songs are just love songs. Yeah, they were they're not, all songs but about it was almost more poppy also. 
Oh, of course. Yeah, totally. Not 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 related to Dylan at all. But yeah. but at least he wrote he, he did write his own shit, yeah. which would even then in 57, 58, 59 was was, you know, not as common. OK, Dylan Dylan was like, you know, he writes his own shit and people would cover that music. And, you know, the birds were the yeah. first ones to really do that. They covered a lot of his songs and, and turn them into a rock and roll song. And he liked it. He enjoyed it that people were doing this. You know, the original Mr. Tambourine Man. Uh, yeah. yeah, I don't want to listen to that. I don't want to listen to that. I want to listen to the birds version. Yeah. But it does come from Dylan, and I recognize it. You know, you have to. You want to hear? But yes, I went to that Bob Dylan exhibit that they had in um in the city years ago, and most of the yeah. songs that he wrote, you'd be shocked. It was all like a napkin in a diner, night napkin diner. Oh, yeah. He wrote all his songs and, and, co- and coffee shops and, coffee and stuff shop. in the village. There was just yeah. songs written in napkins, like it was like pure napkins. I guess he. Yeah. Put in scrap something would come something would come up to him and he'd be like, I need a piece of paper, just write on a napkin. Yeah, it was insane. Yeah. It was all napkin, I mean, like the scrap it was incredible. I was like, holy shit. Like, yeah. I still like his version of the times are changing to me. It's a great version. Oh yeah, that's that's great. That's a great song. Uh I love how they use that in Watchmen. The Watchmen was the of Watchmen. Yeah, that's a great, great way to, to show that song. Yeah. Now after Baby Can I Take You Home, Baby Let Me Take You Home, you know, the next single was the monster hit. All right. That came out in June of 64. And we're talking about the House of the Rising Sun. And uh, that would be a number one hit in the U.S. and the United yeah. States. And, you know, Burden's howling vocals and very dramatic arrangement with Alan Price's organ riffs. The song really became the signature of that band. OK. And. Again, it's actually a folk song, and it was done originally by Bob, uh, not originally, but prior by Bob Dylan. Uh, there was a folk singer named Dave Van Rank, okay, a blues singer named Josh White that did it, and singer Nina Simone recorded it two years earlier on an album called uh, Nina at the Village Gate. Now, the Animals made the song their own, though, basically, yeah. and they were the, they were the group after that came out that people couldn't stop talking about. All right. It was, that song was just such a huge hit. You, you know, that song is still, still gets to today. It still gets used in movies all the time. It's used, it's used in movies. It's used in, uh, you know, you hear it in, in, in regular, you know, classic rock rotations on all the radio. The time. Like this. You know, and it's, it's, it is a great song that I really never get sick of hearing. Um, there was a band in the early 70s that covered it again okay because uh, again it's just a cover a, a band called frigid pink yeah that did like a real heavy version of it that's really good as well you know it just shows if you have a good song you could do but a the lot animal version start with oh, it's the classic creepy voice again uh, and he's like he sounds yeah. kind of creepy yeah. and then he's telling the story which is fascinating yeah. the way they they do it yeah yeah and uh, that haunting organ oh, sound yeah. Okay, that you know, you have that break in the middle. They had to actually shorten it a couple of seconds to for the uh, for the single. I think the uh, the big organ break they originally had taken out in the single, and then years not too long after, a few years later, uh, radio picked up on the original version and started playing the long the long version again. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's a great song. I never get sick of it. Now, what? You know, what we were alluding to before about Alan Price. Now, 
they needed to make a new arrangement of this song. Okay, they weren't going to do it the way Nina Simone did it or Bob Dylan did it. So they came up with this arrangement that you you hear today. And with so many guys in the band, they didn't have room on the record itself, on the single, to put all their names down as the arrangers. So Alan Price put his name down and nobody had a problem with that and that was it. Well, this song became a number one hit and Price was credited to it. Okay. So that be- then, you know, I think Alan Price convinced himself that he arranged the song. All right. And, you know, Eric Burden to this day says, no, we all did it. Had a part in it. Okay. But he ended up getting the credit and that was the reason. They were young. They were stupid. They should have figured out a way to either contractually, if it was just going to be one name, contractually to make it make sure the money's shared. But their biggest hit, and Eric Burden has to sing that song any show he does. He hasn't performed in a few years, but uh, you know people expect that. And he never made a dime from that song. Crazy. Yeah, it is. It is. So um, over the next two years, okay, the original Animals... Uh, would be produced by Mickey Most, okay, who was a very successful producer at the time. Uh, it was his gritty and intense productions of Sam Cooke's Bring It On Home to Me. Uh, the other Nina Simone song that they did called Don't Let Me Be Misunderstood. That's a good, that's uh, great it, song. Yeah, that's a great song. And it would make the animals stand out from the pack, basically, as the British, uh, you know, the British Invasion bands. In my opinion, you know, you had... The Beatles were kind of pop at that time. The Stones played pop versions of blues songs. But the Animals were darker than the Stones, I feel. And they played like a real bluesy R&B. And that made them stand out. I think in some ways they were, you know, I think the Stones would obviously eclipse them. The band wouldn't last. But but they, they were, at that point, you listen to House of the Rising Sun in 64, and then you look at what the Stones were putting out, like maybe the last time or, you know, it's all over now or something. And it, it you know, those are totally different genres. OK, so in, in October of 64, the band flew to New York City to make an appearance on Ed Sullivan. And it was their American debut. Right. They hadn't been there yet. Yeah. And they, they were set up with several shows over a period of weeks uh, playing in different theaters in the city and in the area. Um, the band arrived at JFK Airport. They got into a motorcade that was formed by Sunbeam Alpine Series 4 convertibles. Now, you can look that up online. Uh, they're, they're little tiny British convertible cars, okay? And each band was in a car. And they were accompanied, each member of the band, I'm sorry, was in a car. And they were accompanied by a different fashion model. <laughs> okay. So they were sitting probably in that car. If the top was down, you would sit high on the back seat. Okay. You could sit on the, the, the edge of the back seat up top. Okay. And you're probably sitting there with the girl. Okay. And they drove from there, probably along the Bell Parkway, all the way into the city. Okay. And by the time they got into the city, and heading to the hotel they were staying at in this motorcade, people started to realize who the hell they were. Okay. And, and yeah, and uh, girls started screaming. 
they were chasing them, <laughs> you know, chasing the motorcade down down the street all the way to the hotel. You know, it was it was it was a crazy scene getting them out, getting them into the hotel, all that. Um, when they went on Ed Sullivan, they performed the songs "I'm Crying" and the song "The House of the Rising Sun." Um, hysterical girls were screaming in the audience. It was like the Beatles performance, you know, a few months earlier. Um, in December of that year, the, uh, the MGM movie, get yourself a college girl was released with the animals. So while they were here, they ended up making an appearance in this film. Uh, in the film, they, they were headlining with the Dave Clark five and the animals sang the Chuck Berry song round and around in that movie. Now, you know, I mentioned Nina Simone earlier and, uh, she was obviously a big influence on the band. And when he was, when Eric Burden was, was, was when they were all staying in New York city at that time, between October and December, January, something like that of 64, he started hanging out up in Harlem a lot. And he got tight with the people that were running the Apollo theater on 125th street. And it was there that he met Nina Simone. Okay, now, have you, did you hear this story, no, Rob? Okay, yeah. Now, he gets introduced to Nina Simone. In, I, think, I think it actually happened in the Apollo Theater. Um, and Nina Simone says to him, uh, so, you're the white motherfucker that's been singing my songs and making a big hit with it? Wow. So, Burden, yeah, so Burden... Like didn't hesitate. He didn't, he didn't hesitate a second. He supposedly said back, you know, this white motherfucker just paved the way for you to go to the UK and sing your music to people that want to hear you sing. Wow. Yeah. And she said to him, come into my dressing room. Let's have a drink. You know? Oh, <laughs> well, whatever. But, uh, you know, but I, I thought that that was, that was, that's an interesting interaction. You know, she probably just liked it because it showed the respect that she yeah. wanted, you know, you know, and he did, he, you know, and, and, and yeah, I mean, uh, it, it, it's funny, you know, a lot of the, 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 the early, the British invasion guys covered black music. I mean, it, they just yeah. did. And, and they liked it. They enjoyed it. Uh, and I think that, you know, on some level, some of the blues guys and girls and, Nina Simone, R and B vocalists, uh, you know, were a little, a little pissed off because they had done this music for 20, 30 years before, and then here comes these white guys and they're they're doing it, you know, and they're making you money. Know what was the but, with Eric? He didn't sound like a white guy. Not at all. Well, like well, well, you know what? Like, that's right. You know, anytime you saw War, you ne- you didn't see yeah. them, and you just heard them singing you were told oh it's a black band and then he, did, he had a black soulful then, voice for a white guy this, where you see yeah, the yeah. band you see this white guy with these guys with afros and stuff it's like what the fuck hey yeah i mean and and that's what i was saying before about him not giving yeah. a fuck about you know he did what he wanted i mean he was just this white brit okay into blues and jazz and r&b and you know, he decides I'm going to play with this funk, unknown, basically, funk band, you know, that really wasn't, you know, making any big hits uh, from 
Southern California. Okay. And, you know, they end up making like two albums together that are like fantastic cult yeah. favorites. Okay. I mean, we'll get into war a little bit in a, in a, in a few minutes, but, uh, I mean, they're one of the more – those two albums are like – I don't even know if you could even make those no. albums today. You know, it just it, – it, there would be so much controversy with it. it would, it's stupid. But anyway. Uh, wait um, up, before you move, can you tell me anything about on, his yeah. relationship? Like he, he talks about Hendrix like very deeply. Yeah, he befriended, he befriended Hendrix. I mean, remember um, – Chaz Chandler, you know, after the the animals yeah, he broke was... up, ended up ended up managing Hendrix and 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 Hendrix, remember, got started yeah. in England. Okay, he made his bones in England, and and everybody like Eric Clapton and Jimmy Page and Jeff Beck and uh, you know whoever was slinging a guitar in those days, whether they were big or not, heard about this guy. Okay, and you had to go see him. So you know he remained friends with the guy you know talking terms with the guys in in the animals after the original animals broke up and uh i think it's just like chaz chandler said listen you know come down and see the band okay i'm not sure if that's exactly what happened but he went down there to 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 see hendrix and they and they became friends and the story goes is that uh they remained friends in fact <laughs> jimmy hendrix stole one of his girlfriends, right? <laughs> yeah, like, and and they still see stayed friends yeah. after that. Okay, yeah, you know, and the only other person I could think of who did something like that was, you know, when when Eric Clapton stole George Harrison's yeah. wife, and he still stayed friends with him. I mean, that's that's a testament to friendship, I guess. Um, when when uh, Hendrix died, uh. Hendrix's girlfriend at the time called Eric Burden right away. Okay. Uh, probably just as soon as she called the ambulance. Okay. So, you know, he was, he was friends with, with Hendrix the whole time. I think they did acid together. I think, I think, uh, no, no, it wasn't acid. It was weed. The first time uh, Burden ever smoked pot was with Jimmy wow. Hendrix. I think, you know, then I'm sure that, quickly became acid and other shit <laughs> you know now in may of 65 the group started to kind of feel these internal pressures alan price decided to leave okay yeah. the band. uh they were having musical differences with him personal reasons he felt he needed to leave the band he ended up starting his own band um which did okay um Mike uh, Mike Gallagher would fill in for him on keyboards for a short time, and then they ended up getting this guy named Dave Roberry, yeah. and he would be like the permanent keyboardist until the end of the original Animals. Uh, he played on "We Got to Get Out of This Place." He played on "It's My Life." So only Alan Price only plays on "House of the Rising Sun" and um, you know a couple other songs early, okay, and then he was gone. Now, <clears throat> around the same time that that was happening. Animals put together a big band, in other words, big band yeah. music, to play. Okay, it was the only time they ever did this. They played the fifth annual British Jazz and Blues Festival, and uh, the Animals' big band, as it was called, debuted on August fifth, nineteen sixty-five. It featured Burden, Valentine, Chandler, uh, and Street, and they featured a 
brass horn section of Ian Carr, Kenny Wheeler, Greg Brown on trumpets, and Stan Robinson, yep. Al Gay, uh, Dick Morrissey, and Paul Carroll on saxophones. So, yeah, so it was a huge band. It only happened one time. Okay, they had one show, and that was it. Uh, I, I would love to see a film of it if it exists. I never have. Um, now, many of the Animals' hits had also come out of the Brill Building in New York, okay? Uh, a lot of songwriters out of there were giving music to a lot of bands at the time. Um, Mickey Most basically recruited some of these Brill Building writers, um, uh, this was something that didn't sit well with Eric Burden. He wanted to write his own shit. And he really couldn't when Mickey Most was producing and providing the songs from the Brill Building. Okay. And he decided, well, they all decided to fire Mickey Most. And they signed uh, a new deal with MGM Records for the U.S. and Canada. And then they switched over to Decca Records for the rest of the world. All right. Um, MGM record producer Tom Wilson was brought in and he basically let them do whatever they wanted and he would just produce the sound. Um, in early 65, MGM released a collection of hits called The Best of the Animals and it became their best selling album in America. Um, in February of 66, John Steele left the band yeah. and was replaced by drummer Barry Jenkins. Okay, now this the leftover rendition of um, one leftover song that they had was called Don't Bring Me Down. And it was the last hit that they would have as the animals. The next single they would come out with was called CC Rider. And it was credited to Eric Burden. Yeah, and the animals. So in that in that period in 66, the middle of 66, basically the original animals had disbanded. By September of 66, I should say, it had disbanded. And their last batch of recordings as a band was released on the album Animalism that came out in November of 66. Now, this, this version of the Animals that would come out, Eric Burden, didn't make a lot of money. Okay, Decca Records was in a shambles. Uh, they didn't know what to do with them exactly. And, you know, as far as worldwide distribution... Uh, they were badly mismanaged. Uh, and, and on a management level, they realized they were being ripped off. Okay. Now, Burden at the time decided to come out with a solo yeah. album. And it was called Eric is Here. And it was released in late 66. Um, it was his last release on Decca. Okay. And the single Help Me Girl went to number 14 in the UK. Uh, Eric went on Top of the Pops by himself and Ready Steady Go by himself to promote it. Now, Chaz Chandler had gone on to manage Jimi Hendrix and produce Slade, uh, like I mentioned. And in December 66, Burden put together this Eric Burden and the Animals. Sometimes they called it the New Animals. Yeah. Okay, Eric Burden and the New Animals. Um, it featured... Burden on vocals, Barry Jenkins on drums, John Weeder on guitar, violin, and bass. Vic Briggs played guitar and piano, and Danny McCullough played bass, too. Okay. Now, the direction would, would change a lot for this band. They weren't like the original Animals. 
uh, they moved more towards like a psychedelic rock sound. Okay. Um, these are the songs like Sky Pilot, uh, San Franciscan Nights, the song Monterey, which is about the Monterey Pop Festival. Uh, these were played live and they were much heavier than, you know, past animal songs. Uh, when I Was Young is another one. Uh, Burden's vocals on a lot of these songs depended on, on screaming a lot more, screaming out his lyrics. Um, it made the songs even yeah. heavier. They were lo- Some of them were like long psychedelic tracks like Hey Jip, yeah. okay? Uh, we Love You, uh, uh, We Love You Lil. Um, there's a 19-minute song that they wrote called New York 1963 to America 1968. Uh, and that was a very experimental, psychedelic kind of thing. Um, but there would be a lot of lineup changes in this New Animals. He, he couldn't seem to keep a, a whole yeah. band together uh, for the for the short and time my, they were together. Yeah, By the summer, it's question. Yeah. That last, that Decca recording, the final one, you think that was probably it was supposed to be an Animals album, but he couldn't get them together. He just did a solo album. I I think they they had contractual obligations probably to put out stuff. So you know it was like whatever yeah, they had but, left. Okay, there was stuff they didn't use on other albums. Um, you know that they decided to just put it out, get out of the contract because you know he he and then he had his his solo record on deck yeah and and that actually did yeah. okay okay but uh after that he would he would he would leave that ba- that uh that uh label so yeah i mean it was stuff that they just never released probably was just contractual they had to put out something so yeah that, that happens, happens a lot, lot, lot. I, I noticed that more and more like they did a even once the band the, or the band the band broke up they would just do a best of or greatest or a, a or live album. album. Yeah, you know. And that's that happens a lot. A lot of people do. Or you could be like Lou Reed and make an album of feedback just to get out yeah. of the record contract. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> so in uh, the summer of 68, they added Zoot Money, okay, uh, on organ and piano. Danny McCulloch left, so Zoot would also play bass sometimes. Uh, he occasionally would do vocals. Now, Andy Summers replaced Vic Briggs. Zoot Money and Andy Summers were formerly of the British psychedelic band uh, Dantalian's Chariot. And they brought some songs from that band to the Animals because Eric Burden liked that band and would do some of their songs. Okay. So now Zoot Money was playing several instruments at a time. Okay. Like on stage. You know, one song he'd play bass, one song he would play organ, whatever, keyboard. Okay. And so they had to kind of like alternate. It was interesting. They would change instruments, you know, for different songs. Now, Summers and Weeder played bass alternately. Now, you remember Andy Summers, right? Yeah. Remember the name? Okay. Now, he went on to a lot of success many years later in the police. Mm-hmm. Right? He was in the police as the guitar player. Um, Sadly, though, by 68, this lineup would kind of dissolve. Uh, they released a double album called Love Is. And then there were some singles off that, Ring of Fire and the cover of River Deep, Mountain High. They were released internationally and they pretty yeah. much flopped. 
Okay. Uh, I don't know what it is about River Deep Mountain High. No one ever really had a big hit with it. You know, when Tina Turner did it originally, it only got to like number 60 or something like that. You know, and that's the best version of it. Anybody else who covered it, you know, definitely wasn't going to have a hit. But now several reasons were given for the breakup of the new animals. uh, The most famous being this aborted Japanese tour. The tour was scheduled for September of 68, but it got delayed to November because they had difficulties getting visas to go to Japan. So only a few dates into the tour, the band, when they got there, the band found out that the promoters that they had in Japan were Yakuza members. All right, which Yakuza is like the Japanese mafia. Um, They ended up kidnapping the animal. I thought that was great. (laughs) And threatened him at gunpoint to write an IOU for a $25,000 check to cover the losses that the, the tour delay made happen. Okay. They obviously missed some shows or whatever that they couldn't do. And uh, these people were pissed off. So <clears throat> the, the, the band manager in the, in the, in his quick thinking realized that these guys probably don't even know how to read English. So he wrote like, yeah, here's an IOU for 25,000, but I'm writing this under duress. Oh. <laughs> you know, there's yeah. a gun, it's a fucking gun to my head. Okay. So, the Yakuza's released him, but warned that the band and himself would have to leave Japan the next day or be killed. Now, I don't understand this, okay? They said that they, they, they lost a lot of money, but weren't they going to recoup the money if they yeah. did the shows? So I don't know why they kicked him out of the country. I got, and what's an IOU with a piece of paper going to do? You're going to go to England, and what, they're going to go come get you? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> the whole thing makes they're no probably, fucking sense. It was probably but, one of those things that happens. And then I, I can't believe we got out of it just with an IOU. Yeah, I guess. But 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 they they skedaddled, man. The next day, they got the fuck out. The manager, the, 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 the whole band. They left, they left everything. Yeah, they left everything behind. All the equipment. They just got out. Uh, right after that, Zoot Money and Andy Summers started solo careers. Uh, Weeder joined the band called Family, and Eric Burden would connect with the Long Beach, California Latin band War. Okay, and we're going to get into that now. Um, in '69, he 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 showed up in this band. Okay, they wanted to work with each other, and by April '70, the resulting album was titled "Eric Burden Declares War," which had the single "Spill the Wine." And Tobacco yeah, Road. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that that's, you know, Spill the Wine. You, you watch the video yeah, on YouTube for that, you know, it's such a classic, you know. And I, I always love that line, like, you know, I dreamed I was in a Hollywood movie, <laughs> you know. And, and I was the star of the movie. And how did a, you know, a, a gnome like me get to be the star of a Hollywood movie? You know, it's such a great line. Um but they actually came out with two albums that year. You know, it's, it's 1970. That was a big year for them. Uh, in April was the Eric Burden Declares War album. And then in September of that year, they had Eric Burden and War called Black Man, The Black Man's yeah. Burden. And it was spelled B-U-R-D-O-N. Okay. So the singles off that double album was Paint It Black, uh, The Stone yeah. Song, which they do a great version of. And another song called They Can't Take Away Our Music. Uh, both did well. 
in in 1971 those songs and uh but what would happen is unfortunately uh while on tour with war eric burden collapsed one night from an asthma attack on stage and war ended up continuing on their tour without him and that would kind of be the end of his collaboration with them okay uh you know gotta mention too uh B.B. Uh, Dickerson, who was the bass player to, to War, just passed away recently. Yeah. So rest in peace, brother. Uh, our buddy Julian Dickerson, who we haven't seen for a while. Uh, that's his son. Uh, you know, sorry, brother, for the loss of your father. Um, War is just, you know, one of these bands that everybody should check out. There's just something about them. They're so original, so different at the time. And then you had, you know, Eric Burns, fantastic vocals. Great songwriting. Uh, I listened to the other night in, in, in you know prepping for this show. I listened to the first album, the one uh, Eric Burden yeah. declares war, and I hadn't heard it in years, actually, all the way through. And uh, it holds up. It does. It, it really holds up as a fantastic. Look, for him, one see that war. Who said? Uh, they they did it themselves. Oh, so the, the other guys, guys just they were different. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they had a. I forget the guy's name. I mean, War War was a band that, uh, you know, they had a singer and stuff before you know, yeah. before Eric Burden came in. So they just, you know, they did later on. Now, now the song "Why Can't We Be Friends," okay, later on that was sung by uh, Deacon Jones, who was a, a yeah. football player. Okay, and he ended up joining that band. Uh, which I was going to talk about in a second. Now, in 76, there was a compilation album called Love is All Around that was released by ABC Records. And it included live versions of, of Wars Painted Black and of also a live version of the Beatles sing, uh, song A Day in the Life. Um, that album, I mean, the band at the time, not the album, but the band at the time... Um, Eric Burden was no longer with them. They had the ex-NFL star Deacon Jones. He sang that hit, Why Can't We Be Friends? Okay. Now, in 2008, jump ahead for a second, Eric Burden and War would be reunited for the first time in 37 years at a concert at the Royal Albert Hall in London. And, yeah, yeah, and it coincided with Rhino Records re-releasing all the war albums, including Black Man's Burden and Eric Burden Declares War. And they're really good remasters and all that. Rhino's a good label for that. Um, when he left war in 1971, Burden started the Eric Burden Band, which there would be quite a few variations yeah. of going forward. Um, it, it continued with like that heavy rock and funk style that was popular in war um in august of 71 he released the album called guilty guilty exclamation point which featured uh, a blues shouter named jimmy witherspoon now what's a blues shouter blues shouter is uh, a blues singer that doesn't even need to be microphoned he's so loud okay and there were guys like that that they they you could hear them from forever Okay, from a, a long distance. Jimmy Witherspoon was one of these guys that had that kind of voice. Um, there was a guy named Ike White that played on the, uh, in the band. Uh, he was part of what was called the San Quentin Prison yep. Band. And in 1973, the Eric Burton Band played the Reading Festival in the UK, 
Um, they would release two more albums with that lineup, Sun Secrets in 74 and an album called Stop in 1975. Now, in 77, Burden would move to Germany and he would release the album Survivor. He featured on that album guitarist legend Alexis Corner, who we've we've mentioned several times when it comes to British blues. Okay, Uh, you know, Brian Jones from the Stones played with him before the Stones. Alexis Corner was like the godfather of, of British blues, basically. Uh, and also, they, he brought back uh, keyboardist Zoot Money from the, the second version of The Animals. Uh, the album featured four guitarists and three keyboardists, and it's known for its album cover of Eric kind of like screaming into a microphone on the, on the cover. Now, <clears throat> the album was actually produced by the former Animals bassist Chaz Chandler, and it included a booklet inside of like illustrated drawings that Eric wrote him, uh, Eric had done himself. Okay. <clears throat> in May of 78, he recorded the album Darkness, Darkness. And uh, he was using to record that album ex Small Faces and Faces member Ronnie Lane's mobile studio, yeah. like a truck. Okay. Uh, it also featured ex Jeff Beck group vocalist and guitarist Bobby yep. Tench. Okay. And it would eventually be released in 1980. Took a little while to put that one out. Uh, In 82, he put together a new Eric Byrne band. Okay. And they performed at the Germany Rock Palast Festival. That's in Lorelei, Germany. And it was after this show that he decided to go on a tour of Europe and Australia for almost a two-year period. He would do like some extensive touring all over. Uh, that ended around March of 85. And it was then that he also published his autobiography entitled, I Used to Be an Animal, But I'm All Right Now. Have you read that book? No, I have not. I have not. Okay. And, uh, it, it looked, he has like, he has like, uh, I've never read a biography on him. Um, he has like two or three. And I, I, I just, I should put it on my bucket list. I'm sure it would be interesting. Um, during this period, he had some different lineups going on and even different band names. Uh, there was one called Eric Burden's Fire yep. Department. Okay. So he had a lot going on, a lot of live shows. Um, he also filmed in 1981 scenes for a movie uh, by uh, director Christine Bushman, a movie called Comeback, and he was the star of this film. Uh, he had blues legend Louisiana Red in his band lineup and a guy named Snuffy Walden as well. Uh, this lineup toured the U.S. and Australia, releasing two albums, one called Comeback in 1982 and Power Company in 1983. I have to admit, I have never seen this film, uh, but I do have it on my list of things to check out. I'm sure it's not a wide release. I'm going to have to look for it, but you know, anything with him in it, I want to check out. You know, um, In 88, he put together a band with 15 musicians, okay? Uh, it was Andrew Giddings on keyboards, Steve Stroud on bass, Adrian Shepard on drums, Jamie Moses on guitar, and he had four backing yeah. vocalists also to record this album. Uh, the album was called I Used to Be an Animal, just like the book was called. Uh, in 1990, his version of the song 16 Tons was used in the movie Joe Versus the Volcano. Yeah, Remember that, that movie? Where we are, Tom Hanks. 
Yeah, I think yeah, yeah, right. Is yeah. it Tom Hanks? Tom Hanks and I think Meg so. Ryan, I think. Right, 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 right. Now he also recorded a version of "We Got to Get Out of This Place" with Katrina and the Waves. So I'm walking on sunshine. Yeah, band, right. <laughs> and uh, a song called "No Man's Land" with Tony Carey and Am Hagis. Tony Carey was the keyboardist in Rainbow. Okay, and uh, Ann Hagis is like a famous German musician. Now, later in 1990, he had a smaller version of the Eric Burden Band, and he did a tour with Robbie Krieger from The Doors, which culminated in a Venice Beach concert uh, being recorded and released, but it was not released for almost 20 years. Uh, in 2008, it finally came out That's on DVD. Yeah, yeah. You know, I guess it's just probably... You know, a lot of these guys, they think something's not good enough or whatever. And then they, they, they sit on it for a while and then they put it out, you know. Kind of like what happened with, uh, with Credence with yeah. the Woodstock show, right? So in, in, in April of 2004, he had sort of a comeback album. Uh, it was called My Secret Life. And it was fir his first album of new recordings in about 16 years. Prior to that, he had... Uh, done like a tribute to john lee hooker who died in 2001 uh he wrote a song called can't kill the boogeyman and he co-wrote that with tony bronagel and marcelo nova who's actually a brazilian boss wow. nova singer okay so he's you know eric is doing his thing he's he's all over the place doing different kinds of music um in 2005 they released a live album called athens traffic love um, and with special bonus material and a DVD. After this short project, he began a short tour with an outfit called the Blue Knights. Um, January 27th, 2006, he released the R&B album Soul of a Man, and it was dedicated to Ray Charles and John Lee Hooker. Burden then formed a new band with Red Young on keyboards, Paula O'Rourke on bass, Eric McFadden on guitar, Carl, uh, Carl Carton on guitar, and Wally Ingram on drums. And they performed the Lugano Festival in Switzerland in 2007 and toured as a headlining act for the 2007 Hippie Festival. All right. Um, in 2012, at age 71, he recorded an EP with the Cincinnati garage band, The Greenhorns. And I, I remember when this came out, it was kind of like... It was a few years after uh, the garage band, The Raining Sound, did an album with Shangri-La's singer, uh, Mary Weiss, which was fantastic. Uh, that was a great album. And it was uh, on, uh, I think it was on Wicked Cool Records, which is little Stephen, Stephen Van Zandt's label. Um, and it was kind of like a trend, I think, where people were starting to, look back at some of these oldest singers, people that were in band and, and, and recording with them. And when this came out with, you know, Eric Burden and the Greenhorns, now the Greenhorns are a sixties influenced garage band. Okay. And they had been around for a couple of years. I have like one or two of their albums. So when they did this, I thought it was going to be more of that kind of sound, like a garage sound, but it's not, it's, it's, it's different. Can't explain it. It's it's a very different sounding album, different for both of them. Um, and it, but it works. It was just an EP, so it wasn't a lot of songs. I think it was like five or six songs, if I remember right. 
Um, it was recorded. What was unique about it, though, was it was recorded all in analog. Yeah. It's... Okay. Yeah, yeah. And that was something that uh, the Greenhorns have a connection with uh, Jack White and the Recontours. Right? Uh, the Recontours, am I saying that right? Recontours, right? That's how you call that band. Um, that, that was the band that he started after the White Stripes. Okay, they had that song Steady yeah. As She Goes, and, and you know, that was pretty good. But what they were doing, Jack White is, is uh, what I like about him, and it's very interesting, is he likes to use old equipment to record, to get that sound. So he searches out like old equipment, he buys, he goes all over the world, finds it, things that are things that worked on tubes, okay, that you would, you know, uh, to like even his speakers, like his amps, he likes to use the old type of amps that have tubes in the back, and those tubes aren't yep. made anymore. You and, and but what's interesting is there's places in England and even in Russia where you could buy these these vacuum tubes they're called, okay, because they're like vacuum sealed, and they they they're just warehouses of these things because they were made over so many years and just it's like surplus. But eventually that shit's gonna run out. And they'll just never have it anymore. So, but what 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 the Recontours did, and what the Greenhorns, who the members of the Greenhorns were in the Recontours, and then when they recorded with with Eric Burden, they they used this studio that was entirely analog to get that '60s sound, and they really they really succeeded with it. If you listen to it, you can hear that album on YouTube, um, and it was actually released as part of a a record store day thing. In November, in November yeah, of like 2012. Now, right, like a Black Friday thing. We got one coming up, I think, too. I think there's one coming up this month. Um, in 2013, he came out with a new solo album, and it was called Till Your River Runs Dry. And there was a song on there called Water, um, which was really good. You can check out the video of it online. Uh, it was inspired by a conversation that Eric Burden actually had with the ex-Soviet Secretary General Mikhail Gorbachev. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I just want to mention a couple of short things here at the end here. Uh, well, I was going to tell the story of the Eggman, but we did that already. The Eggman is great. Uh, he actually has written three autobiographies, okay, and I do intend to read them. I have to admit that I have not. Um, unfortunately, over the last few years, 10 years or so, his health has declined. Okay. Uh, his asthma has gotten worse. He had moved to California. I think he still lives out there basically for the weather. Okay. Cause he always had these lung problems, humidity and coldness and stuff is something you can't take. But what also has developed, he has severe back problems now. So he's, you know, he's going to be 80 years old, May 11th. And uh, as of 2019, his website I think that was the last time it was updated. Uh, you know, he was going to start doing some shows. I don't know how many, but they all got, you know, they all got nixed because of the coronavirus. Yeah, so he had a bunch of so, shows up. Yeah, yeah. Now, I think once we get back to normal a little bit, I wouldn't see, be surprised if he makes a couple of appearances. And uh, I have to admit, you know, this is this is one of the biggest regrets of my, of my life, too, is I've never wow. seen him. And yeah, yeah, I don't know why. It's just one of these things that slipped through the cracks because I've always enjoyed his music. But uh, 
I would hope that if he comes around again, I'd like to catch him because he's going to be 80. You know, that's something you know what's funny? I wonder out, if you know? reach And his voice is still I wonder great. if you can reach out to him and have him on the show. You know, I was thinking that. I actually was thinking that yesterday. And uh, uh, there appears to be on his website some emails. He, has, he still has, uh, you know, I believe agents and managers and stuff. So he's, there might be some way to do that. I would you love know to what? I think, I think you work your magic. You, you, tend, you tend to send those email and letters and we get them on, you know? Yeah. Now, I don't know if it's true. It's never been confirmed. And I'm just going to throw this out there. If it's not true, well, I'm sorry I even brought it up. But I heard that Eric Burden has a tremendous Nazi memorabilia collection. Wow. <laughs> I don't know if it's true. I've heard that, that that's true. I don't know. He did spend time in Germany. And he has once in a while he does mention things like the war and Nazis didn't, and stuff didn't like that. Lemmy had just, a big too. Yeah, yeah, Lemmy did, you know, and uh I guess his son inherited all that stuff, you know. But in the Lemmy movie, I mean he got he had yeah, that stuff crazy. all over the place. You know who else had a huge collection was Ron Ashton from the from the Stooges. And when Ron died, somebody robbed his house oh, and shit. took all that shit. Yeah, before the family could, like, you know, get control of the situation, his house got robbed. That's the fucking problem with social media. You know, you die 30 seconds later, the world finds out about it, and then somebody yeah. goes and robs your house. Nobody's <laughs> before the, shit. Yeah, yeah, they knew where he It had to be somebody that knew him, you know, knew where he was and stuff, and probably wanted all that shit, but they, they stole all that stuff from him. Crazy. Crazy. But yeah, so Eric Burden, I'm glad we did this show. It was, uh, you know, um, definitely a pleasure researching everything because I think he's somebody that, you know, if you're into music, you got you gotta listen to him. Uh, I've been every time I, I recently I've been posting a few things on Facebook and stuff about him, and always get a lot of positive results. No one says anything bad, you know. They all say how they like him. Uh, this one person that put some comments down on the Rock Show group page. Uh, I believe um, about how uh, they had gone to a show. They were supposed to see him at the Palladium. Uh, this is in the eighties. And remember the 13th street side yeah. of the Palladium, the backside. Okay. Like, you know, they, he, somehow he was late. Burton was late and they were supposed to meet him backstage or something. And he ended up meeting them at the back entrance and was like apologizing and everything. He was like a regular guy. You know, like, oh, I'm sorry for being late and everything like that. He didn't have no rock star airs about him, you know. That You know, what's interesting, too, is that uh, on YouTube, that, that Rock Palast show from the early 80s that he did. Uh, very cool. It's kind of looking at him, you know. he's. It's Unfortunately, it's kind of like a little 280s. Okay, like he's wearing what looks like a Miami Vice jacket, you know, like, like, you know, like rolled up to the sleeves like that, that look rolled up to the elbows. But still with that voice, uh, if you listen to the song Water that came out eight years ago, uh, check out the video for it. Uh, his voice is amazing. So that's all I got for you today. Mr. Yeah, I'm going to link up the two documentaries for YouTube that they have on him that they were pretty good. Right, there was one from the early '90s and one from yeah. a few years ago, I think, or a year like ago. Like what do you mean he's still alive? <laughs> <laughs>
Yep. Yes, yeah, so a good job, Mike. Um, and we'll see you next week. The only podcast you will hear that will be music to your ears. You'll learn about bands you love or may not know, and it's only here on the Rock Show. Let's get lumped up on the rock show.